Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I want to extend an invitation to you. Do you struggle with building a championship culture, getting your players to communicate on the court, maximizing your practice time, and bringing out the best in all your players? We all struggle in at least a few of these areas, and that's why over 1,500 coaches a year from all levels of play attend one of our summer or fall PGC courses to learn these things. And coaches consistently tell us spending a week at PGC is one of the most useful and beneficial investments they've ever made in their coaching career. In fact, coaches consistently tell us their team culture changes, their players improve faster, and they enjoy coaching more, and they win more. At your PGC course, you'll attend all the classes classroom, video, and court sessions, just like the players. You'll also benefit from daily interactions with a course director and in-session huddles with other like-minded coaches. If you're ready to take your coaching and your team to new heights next season, go to pgcbasketball.com, find a summer or fall course near you, and sign up. That's pgcbasketball.com. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. The talent for so many players today, the talent in the spotlight, it's taking them to heights that their character's not strong enough to support. I'm one of those set goals achievers. I talked about faith, passion, obviously the drive with the guys that I've been around and the guys that surround me every single day. If I want to be one of the best, I've got to play with and against the best. Okay, so that which gets praised gets repeated. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle, brought to you by PGC Basketball. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle. I'm your host, Adam Bradley, joined alongside by my guy, TJ Rosine, broadcasting here in Duncan Falls, Ohio, at the Elite Coaches Clinic. Clinic. We have a special guest for you, but before we do, let's catch up with our friends over at Shot Tracker. Yeah, what gets measured gets done. Coaches, if you're not, you need to be diving into analytics. You need to be measuring things for your team. Uh, why would you give up that edge when you can have that edge? Go check out our friends over at Shot Tracker. So, TJ, we just finished actually listening. We speak later this afternoon, but we had the opportunity to sit in in a session this morning here at the clinic. And uh, Coach Babe Kwasniak, I said it perfectly earlier, right? I guess that's why people. Pressure got to you. Pressure did get to me. I guess that's why people abbreviate it and just call you Coach Quas. That's it, Adam. Yep. Yep. So. Incredible hour that you just spend up there sharing kind of your story, not only just as a coach, but your story of, of the military and, and how you've risen to the ranks there. First of all, I appreciate you taking a few minutes. I know you've got a busy schedule and you've got to travel later today, so I appreciate you taking the time with us. But uh, how you doing, first yeah, of all? Well, thanks for having me, Adam, TJ. Uh, I've been an avid listener ever since you guys started, to be honest, and it's always been a show that's on my uh, it's on my rotation list that I listen to all the time and you guys do so much for the game. Thank you so much for everything you guys do for the game. Yeah, really and appreciate it. Thank you. Most importantly, thank you for your service to our to our country. I mean, just hearing your stories up there and knowing what you do and, and uh, what all your brothers and sisters have done to protect our country. Um, really do appreciate that. Can you give us a little bit of your background just so that our audience gets to feel that? I mean, when get, we got to, to hear it in person and just to hear the passion, you know, for what you have done and, and what you sacrificed uh, for our country, and not just you, but all of your brothers and what they've done. It's, it's just really moving to hear that and to see uh, your passion and really encouraging to me and, and a debt of gratitude knowing that people like you are out there doing that for us. But if you could give our audience just a little bit of background on that, that'd be awesome. Thanks, TJ. And it is Armed Forces Day, so what a great day for that, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, I didn't do this right now in, in, our, in my presentation, but. Uh, the thing I'm probably the most passionate about is, you know, you talked about my military background. We have 22 
soldiers per day killing themselves, guys. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's something that we're working on to, to, to defeat. It's something we're working on, you know, to combat. And I, and I think the biggest misconception um, with, with our veterans is from PTSD is that, you know, suicide and depression comes from, you know, it comes from either watching somebody be killed in combat or killing somebody. Where the number one component of post-traumatic stress syndrome is guilt is the guilt that comes along with letting their buddy down and, mm-hmm. and not doing their job and being a part of what I think is the greatest team in the world, which is the United States Armed Forces, which I know we're talking to a bunch of coaches and a bunch of leaders. And that's just something that, as a country, we got to get better on and, at and something I'm, I'm just so proud to advocate for and, and constantly talk about because, you know, not, and not only soldiers, but, you know, every day if you can just talk to somebody and, and you know, you never know what they're going through. And it's just something where you can, you know, you can change your lives. And, and our soldiers, our veterans deserve better. And it's something that, that I'm, I work for, uh, I work for an organization called Neopat, Northeast for Ohio Foundation for Patriotism, where we try to reach out and, and, and help all these guys, TJ. But Yeah, what, what uh, I mean, what can we, what can we do just as bystanders, you know? I mean, I think, uh, you know, I always, one of the things, my dad just passed a year ago, but I know one of the things that he, he always did is if he ever saw a soldier, he absolutely paid for their meal and anybody else. Right? I know a lot of, I know <laughs> oh, a lot of people awesome. do that, but because it's the least you can do is a bit of gratitude, but for something as serious as suicide mm-hmm. right there, um, just as, as coaches, as, as athletes, players, is there anything that we can do? Is there any organizations we should be supporting? Anything that, uh, people that are listening could I, do? Well, I contribute? think, I think you just did it, you know? By, by saying thank you and by showing a, a, a level of gratitude. You guys talk all the time about, I mean, I've heard you talk about attitude and effort, the only two things you can control. I tell my players and I tell my sons, it doesn't take any talent to be a better American, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, you can just, you can do something, you know, you can do anything, really. And, and, and when, those are the best stories I hear when, when you see when you see a soldier in the airport, you know, just go and thank them, all right? I mean, now they have a job to do, and to them it's just them doing their job. But it's all. I mean, they're they're could potentially make the ultimate sacrifice, right? Mm. And and uh, you know, I think um, I just talked about during my presentation. I think the number one thing we do as coaches is try to teach people how to teach kids how to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And the one thing, um, you know, I, I know you asked about my background is I'm a West Point graduate, and uh, the only reason I went to West Point was to play Division One basketball. Now, if you made me list one through a hundred, what's most important? I met my wife at West Point. I every job I've ever gotten was because of West Point. Division one basketball is number 100, TJ. It really was. It was, mm-hmm. it was last of the list. And the one thing that West Point taught me was one of the pillars, which is country. So MacArthur's famous speech was duty, honor, country. And I think duty is very well known. You know, do your job. Honor is the cadet honor code is we will not lie, steal, or cheat, nor tolerate those who do. But, but what I didn't understand was I didn't understand the country piece. And um, my, both my granddad and my wife's granddad uh, both fought in World War II, my, my wife's granddad fought in the Battle of Bulge. He's still alive. He's 96 years wow. old. I should make sure he listens to this. He yeah. worked for General wow. Pat in the Fifth Army. And, you know, guys made sacrifices so we can have the freedoms that we have every day, right? And you just look at, um, you know, what, what, what folks get to do and uh, what we get to do every day. And, and believe me when I tell you, it's not like that everywhere. It's mm. absolutely not like that everywhere. We're so blessed to be able to do, you know, what we want to do. And it's because people before us paved the way for us to to have the freedoms we do today. And That's I think great. it's so important that we're reminded of that, right? So we have that healthy perspective at all times because I think we can go about our days, right, and just kind of go through the day-to-day grind and from one thing to the next and, and forget some of the benefits and some of the freedom and pleasures that we get to experience in life as a result of people who have lived it and paid the price for us. Sure. You know, and, and I, I've been reminded today, and it's humbling, 
You agree, TJ? You know, it's humbling. Yeah, absolutely. You sit here today and you're taking things for granted and stuff like that, and then you're reminded what was paid for this. Well, it's great you mentioned that, Adam, because I'll never forget when September 11th happened, I, I, was in, I was in Fort Lewis, Seattle, but I was in the midst of playing for what was called the All-Armed Forces Basketball Team or the All-Army Basketball Team. So after West Point, you can still play kind of semi-professionally. Back then, you would play... You'd play at Division One, Division Twos, and, and JUCO. So it was before the AAU. Remember the Marathon Royals yeah, and all that. Yeah. So we would play, you know, Marathon, uh, Maryland, Georgetown. We'd go, you know, play uh, UTEP, and so we were in. September 11th happened, and we actually had orders to still play for that team. None of us knew if it was going to keep going on because mm-hmm. of what was obviously what was going on in the country. They, they went on with the team, and uh, we were playing. We were playing at uh, at Georgetown, and I, so I know you're, you're familiar with yeah. that with that area well. And I will never forget the starting the starting lineups were called. We're playing at Georgetown, and man, I, I the hair on my arm standing up right now. We got an ovation um, that was and it was incredible because we're like, okay, here we are playing basketball, and our brothers and sisters, like TJ mentioned, are out defending us. But I will never ever forget that ovation. And I remember thinking to myself right then, I, I hope we never forget this, right? Mm-hmm. I hope as we get further along from this and to your point i think the more we do the more we realize hey man there's still stuff you know going on right now and part of that is you know tdu just asks, what can we do we can just remember it yeah right it's just like everybody's lost somebody to cancer the worst thing in the world you can do is stop talking about that person mm. is stop remembering them stop you know recalling what they're doing yeah. uh, my west point graduate best best friend west point uh, teammate jamie Eptograph is getting ready to he's getting ready to retire here uh, you know, and Colonel Optograph, you're listening. God bless you. I love you, buddy. Mm-hmm. But and he did five. He did five combat tours. You know, uh, he missed my goddaughter being born, right? Because he's over there, um, you know, doing his thing for our country. And we just can never forget, uh, and never cease to forget what those guys and gals are doing for us. Absolutely. Yeah, the a. So one of the things I, when I was just listening to you that made me think. I always say the same exact thing you do. That that the greatest lesson that basketball can teach us is it's not about us. And I think it's kind of the equivalent of the greatest lesson we can learn in life. It's just not about us. And obviously that's something that you um, and the Army have learned and have perspective on. When you tie that back to uh, to players, do you think that they have a hard time because they don't have that? I mean, you have a vantage point where you realize mm-hmm. and you lived out – Wow, I'm I'm just a, a piece in this cog right here. I'm just trying to make this wheel turn, and there's something bigger than me. And, and I can imagine serving the country like you did. You realize there's a there's something big out there, mm-hmm. you know. And do players just not have that perspective? And how do you bring? You just did a great job articulating it. But how do you bring that perspective to them? Because I, I feel like you lived that perspective. But a lot of times when I think about young people now, they don't necessarily have that perspective. They're living in a world where they do think they are the most important <laughs> thing in, on earth, you know. And, and, and maybe, not, maybe not their fault. I'm not trying to place blame there. But uh, they just don't have that perspective. How do we help them to get that perspective? Well, you just, you just, you just claimed it for me, TJ. You live it every day. You know what I'm saying? You, you live your values every day. And here's the deal is successful people learn – from the, mis- the old mistakes they make, right? The mistakes they make. The, as a young person, you screw up in this class. You you learn from it and you move on. I tell our kids, the uber successful people, you learn from mistakes of others. So what I do is I live it every day, and they see it with me every single day. And I was telling you guys in there, uh, my biggest accomplishment that I've had is I've had seven guys going on now and serve the armed forces themselves. So if they weren't getting, uh, you know, what I'm selling per se, I don't think that would happen. Now, am I the ultimate? You know, meter mover for that. No, their parents. They have they have good parents, TJ and Adam, and they got they have good values. Um, but if 
if I wasn't living that every day and, and opening those doors, I mean, I didn't understand what it was when I was 17 years old. So how would I expect them to? So somebody has to come in their life to open, to open their eyes. And, and that's what I try to do. And you're not going to reach every kid, but, but I got to tell you, um, you know, I've been doing this, uh, you know, I mean, as a, at the high school level for nine years, I coached in college. And I think a big part of it is I don't consider myself a high school basketball coach. I consider myself a leader who just happens to coach basketball. And I don't need um, this platform to do that. I'm blessed with it. Just like, I, you know, I know you have a lot of junkies on this on this uh, podcast. I'm the son of a coach. Um, I, I don't know how much I love basketball. I know I love the kids I get to coach. Mm-hmm. I, I love I love the impact that I get to make. Um, we've been blessed, you know, to win a lot of games. I have a ton of success, uh, but uh, but that's not what, what wakes me up in the morning. That's not what gets me going. It's it's to be able to take these young boys and turn them into men. So you talked about the eyes opening when let's go back to West Point, right? Mm-hmm. You you went for basketball. That's what you wanted, right? Talk about your eyes being opened when you you went to West Point. Were you prepared for what you were about to partake in going through that experience? Was it? I mean, had to, were you mentally ready for that? Uh, no, and you can't get many. Like I, when people ask me, like, how do you get ready for West Point? Like, if I told you, if I told you, Adam, I was going to slam your ear in a drawer as hard as I possibly could. So to get ready for that, would you just slam your ear in the drawer as hard as you possibly can? <laughs> people laugh, but there's just, you know, like you hear if you read the Navy's Navy SEALs training books, like, are you going to, you know, freeze yourself to get ready to get, you know, to get drowning, get, get cold? No, I mean it's just something. Uh, mental toughness is something you just learn. Is, is can you suck it up? You know, can can you take it, and, and how much can you take? And what you learn is your, your body can take so much more than you think. Were you uh, concerned that you wouldn't be able to handle it? Oh, sure. You know, absolutely. I I tell a story all the time when I was um when I was a young when I was a young boy. I'm a son, a son of a coach, and I, my parents had to sign a waiver for me to pay, play pee wee football because I didn't weigh 100 pounds in the eighth grade. So my dad had to sign a waiver. And I just was getting the snot kicked out of me every day of practice. And I came home one day and I told my mom at dinner, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to play football anymore. She's like, that's fine. Well, you need to tell your father. So I told my, my dad comes home and I said, hey, dad, I made this decision that I'm not going to play football anymore. And he said, that's fine, son. Where are you sleeping tonight? And the lesson was, you know, if you're a Kwasniak, if you start something, you finish it. And, uh, you know, West Point is hard, Adam. It's, it's a really hard place and it's not for everybody. But, uh, but I wasn't allowed to quit. It was not an option for me. Uh, even now, I see all these kids transferring, right? I played behind two pros in high school. And, you know, this is something Jason Wells. I played behind Tony Miller, who played in Belgium. And I played behind London Fletcher for the Washington Redskins. Oh, played 16 years in the NFL, never missed a game. So uh, I was... What position did London play? London Fletcher would have... If London, London Fletcher was 5'10", he was a point guard. Yeah, okay. If, if, if London Fletcher was 6'3", he was... Supernatural, um, man. He's stocky point guard. He was a, a freak athlete. Yeah. Why, you could you could actually look up high, YouTube highlights on him. I mean, he just doesn't look like he doesn't look like a basketball player. Did not play. Uh, actually went to St. Francis on a Division One basketball scholarship. Then talked to my dad and a guy by the name of Coach Moran. Went to John Carroll. Uh, went to John Carroll and they're like, all right, because he wanted to play basketball. John Carroll was like, just go play football. Goes to John Carroll is a Division Three football All American. Then Dick Vermeil sees him. And, and and ends up and ends up uh, ends up taking a chance on him. Wow. A couple years ago, when I was at all Under Armour All American Camp, Coach Collins, Doug Collins, was giving a talk to the top 100 kids in the country. London Fletcher walks in and he goes, "Hey, that that's London Fletcher. He played for my buddy Dick Vermeil, who said he's the best leader in all of sports, not just football." Wow, pretty wow. pretty cool, pretty cool statement. And, and did you could you attest to that? Was he that good of a leader? Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, well, 
And, and I think he was that, young at the time, but. and that's what goes along with TJ. I, I think he, he he turned himself into one, yeah. right? With those experiences. Uh, I mean, we had we 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 butted heads. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when we were younger, and um, you know, he was always mentally tough, but he he, he turned himself into that over time. Yeah. But he he did all that when he was in high school. I'm like, man, you could make a sentence. Now I see you on TV speaking. So I mean, a lot of it is you you. You can develop. You can yeah. get better. You can change your life. And people have no idea what London came from and the situation that he came from and what he turned himself into. And I'm, I'm just so proud. Yeah, talk about a tough guy. Tough as they Mental get. toughness, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, he's got it. Going to a back alley and I've, and I've served with some dudes, he'd, be, he'd probably be my first pick. I mean, he, he's relentless. So tell us a little bit about Villa Angela St. Joe's. Uh, you go V-A-S-J. It's a, uh, yes. You've been to five straight state champions. Championships and uh, won three of them, correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, we just got in here and you talk about how how important leadership and how it starts and ends with leadership. What other components made you a state champion five in a row, first time in Ohio, the state of Ohio? What else contributed to it besides leadership? Well, let me go back. So, so my dad uh, was started coaching at VSJ and uh, it was St. Joe's at the time in 1982. So they've had we've had an incredible history, guys. Clark Kellogg. Um, like we talked about, London Fletcher, Desmond Howard, Elvis Gerbach, Mike wow. Golick from Mike and Mike. So it was a just been a, a kind of. I mean, I always say this is almost like a St. Anthony's in the Midwest. We have a tile kitchen floor and just a. So it's always been kind of a hotbed for for high school hoops. So uh, my dad, um, my dad left. He was there from 1982 to I want to say 1992. Then he had some health concerns and everything, so he went away. I got the job in 2010. TJ and he came back with me. I, I still fire him at least once a week, yeah. but uh, he's won. He's won. He, we've won. Our school has won seven state championships. He's been on the bench for every single one of them, either as a head or a varsity or wow. assistant coach. And uh, you know, to, to answer your question, um, when, when I when I took the job in 2010. We were worried that our school was going to close, you know, and that's why that's why I kind of you know mentioned it in light of St. Anthony's because yeah. we our enrollment was at the lowest point it's ever been. When like Clark Kellogg was there and Mike Golick in the early early eighties, we were two thousand boys. At 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 the point when I got there, we were co-ed and we were we were it was like down to like two hundred eighteen, two hundred twenty kids wow. in the building. So. You know, I said at that point, like, I, I want my kids. I have three boys. I'm like, I want my own kids to go here. Okay, for my own kids to go here, like, we're going to have to increase enrollment. If we're going to have to increase enrollment, like, let's have a success. Let's get this basketball program back to where it was. And we won a, uh, it, we won a state championship in 2013 and just kind of, you know, built it up again through basketball. Now we're one of the fastest private growing schools in Northeast Ohio. And I feel like our success as a basketball program has a lot to do with that. Yeah. To, to your point, when people ask me all the time, TJ, like, you know, people ask like, how, how do you get your culture where it is? And and I think what we've been really successful doing is grooming leaders, right? Your your, your leaders dictate the culture, which drives the behavior, which produces the results. And it's not um, me who creates our culture; it's me and our staff who produces leaders who create our culture. Give us that again. That's I think that was really powerful when you say that the, the progression of leadership to culture. Yeah, well, yeah. Again, I, and, and I stole this from the from the from the Focus Three podcast. But but leaders, you know, leaders create the culture, yeah. which drive behavior, which produces the results. So everyone looks at us and says, "Oh, you just you guys just win these state championships." Well, and they look back and like, "It's your culture. It's a culture at VSJ. No matter who they have, it's the culture." Well, the culture is created. <laughs> By our leaders, if yeah. we have, if you have mediocre leadership, you're going to have, you know, you're going to. You, you don't snap culture. your finger and get a culture. No, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely not. And it takes, it takes, it takes time and pressure. It does not happen overnight, Adam. And and to the point where, I mean, we've had, we've had up to seven kids leave our program after a year. We won a state championship, 
And I think what that says is, I think a lot of a lot of folks try to paint that as a negative picture, and and leave to go where transfer to another transfer high to, school to another school because and kids that have been successful and after we won a state championship and i think it it shows if kids don't want to be a part of something bigger than themselves and a lot of times it's not even them it's their parents that you can go someplace else and be the man well if that's the way you think then you probably should go someplace else and be the man because this isn't going to be the best fit for you i want to i want to ask you how can basketball build up a school so you talked about, like, let's start winning some games. Let's get that enrollment back. How can a basketball team be so far-reaching and influential that it could actually impact the school? And I say that because we've had some schools in our area, some private schools, that that tried to move away from basketball as being the focus, and their school actually suffered from it. I think about Montrose Christian, mm. right? Famous Montrose Christian closed the doors two years ago. My wife went there. They were a powerhouse, right? Grievous mm. Vasquez, Kevin Durant, Stu Vetter. They took the focus away from basketball. They end up closing the school five years later, right? Mm -hmm. You're saying the opposite, right? You put focus into basketball. Basketball ended up propping up the school. Talk about that connection. Here's how we use it as a vehicle. I was – where was I stationed? I was stationed over in Belgium when the last time our Olympic team lost. I remember watching our Olympic team losing and thinking to myself, and this is no offense to Allen Iverson or Ray Allen, whoever played for that team. I said, those guys don't represent me. And I'm not saying that because they lost – I don't think they carried themselves the right way. I thought it was genius of USA Basketball when they hired Coach K because right away, what did he do? He took, you know, he took LeBron and Kobe, and uh, he actually brought one of my buddies in, Scotty Smiley, who lost his eyes in Afghanistan. He brought General Brown in, and he said, "Okay, this is what this is what it means to play for something bigger than yourselves." And you talk about guys who make millions and millions of dollars, Adam, and 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 they in turn. Um, turned it around and said, okay, this is what we're supposed to look like. This is what we're supposed to act like. This is how we're supposed to carry ourselves. That's what I focus on. My kids wear a shirt and tie, and they wear blazers before every game. My kids are not allowed to wear headphones right? Why, while, they're, while they're in the public. They say all the time, hey, coach, why do we do that? Well, because if you run into an alumni and he's going to ask a question, run an alum, they're going to ask a question about, about St. Joe's, you have to be able to articulate and talk to them and not just listen to your music. Say, coach, why do we have to wear uh, – shirt and tie and blazers for games what do you guys wear to prom we wear shirt and tie and blazers what's more important prom or basketball okay coach i think it's just changing in terms of changing the culture it's going to be the behavior right and then more importantly is when you get leaders who model that behavior that other people want to follow you follow then you're on your way yeah how do how do we combat this i i was just at just in chicago yesterday uh, the NBA conferences going on over there, and uh, we were just talking about the the youth and the game and making an impact in the game. And we're dealing with this high school and dealing at the college level. You know, there's this message, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this too. There's this message where NBA is so good at promoting an individual player. You know what I mean? I mean, it's Kevin Durant, this LeBron, this whatever, it, it, and it's kind of opposite of maybe what you would think in college football, where we're talking about a team. You know, you're rooting for Oklahoma, you're rooting for Notre Dame or whoever you're rooting for. And so we're fighting against where uh, at, at the at the at that level there, uh, it's all about the individual. And then when you look at uh, in high school basketball right now, so many uh, and even younger, you mentioned somebody, somebody, uh, a young man in eighth grade tweeting out the six high school options he was he was looking at. But when you talk about kids that age thinking about that and you talk about high school players, Transferring out of something that was you just want a state championship, I mean, pinnacle of a, a team success, but now we want some individual success. How are we going to combat this? 
as um, you know in, in the basketball world? Like, how are we going to uh, make sure that they still? Because you and I agree, the greatest lesson this game has to teach you is it's not about you, but. Everything that we're hearing, and even from the NBA level, is it, it kind of is about you. It's it's about this individual. And then what we're hearing at the high school level is, well, you know, hey, I want to I want to go get my college scholarship, and I need, you know, it's uh, who was it that uh, Skip Prosser, the the coach, you know, Wake Forest, tell us tell the story all the time. But he talks about there's two thousand kids in the school. Uh, everybody loves me. Then all of a sudden, I only keep fifteen guys on varsity. Now I got you know thirty parents and fifteen kids that love me. Then five start. Now I'm down to five, you know, kids and ten parents that love me. And then two kids get the most shots. So I'm down to two kids and four <laughs> parents that love me the most. That's a great prosperism too. I played for Dino Gaudio. Yeah, and then, then he says, and, and then he goes, "That's why I heard you mention that. That's what made me think about it." And then he says, "You know, well, then number two's mad because number one's getting more shots. Yeah. So now you're down to one kid and two parents. Now number one's pissed because he thinks he should be playing at Duke and he's only going to." You know, Ball State I've or had wherever. A parent threatening to sue me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, honestly, what do we do? I mean, it's on my heart. Like, what do we do to combat this? Because my my fear is is that what the game has to teach uh, is 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 we're losing that focus as a as a society on what the game can teach. And I know you're going to do the best in your environment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the best in my environment. But I think it's a basketball nationwide problem. Well, yeah, we're individualizing a team sport, right? And so. My son plays four sports, and and I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like when I go, he was the MVP of his varsity golf team and his varsity cross country team as a freshman, and I love it because during that it's just like you shoot a score in golf and you run and you run a. Now you'd be you'd be surprised. You say coaches or a teacher or parents can't complain during a cross country, but you you'd be surprised they find a way. <laughs> but but I guess my, so then and, and the thing I'm most proud of with my kid is is he was a freshman. He was the only freshman on our varsity team. But you're talking about a kid who knows how to be a good teammate. Yeah. Like, he's learned his whole life on how to be a good teammate. And, I mean, to answer your question, GJ, we have to venerate and emulate. You know, I mean, we have to give him a behavior to follow. Mm-hmm. And um, you talked about Chicago. I mean, there we go. My, my guy, Coach Rochelle, is in Chicago, and he doesn't even have Captain Kwasnick there to speak, man, to, to, to talk about <laughs> yeah. these things. It, it's, it's such a struggle. It, it, it is everywhere. I mean, what is Division One going to have? Over 1,000 transfers this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, in high school, it is just run amok. I, I I don't know if winnings is important to, to some of these kids as it is as being the man. And it's, I used to always have. This I, I think it's winning. It is winning, but it's like what type of winning? Because the players want to win, but they want to win through their own selfish interests. Okay, yeah. like I, I want to win. Like they they want to win, but I think the defining you're referring to a team win. Yeah. Okay. I think players are starting to look. Well, I want to win. So it's almost like you know, I was with a coach this week that, and he actually had a great phrase. He said, you know. My guys want to win, but they want to get theirs first. Well, I was—I remember I can recall a story. I was with Jeff McKinnis coaching at Steph Camp, and I won't mention the name, but he's in the NBA now. And he turned to, he turned to me and, uh, like, he sat out a couple of drills, and he turned to me and Touche, Jeff Mack, and he goes, he goes, I'm about to go get my ranking up. Like, so he wouldn't play in the actual stuff, but when it came time to play in the one-on-one contest to get his ESPN ranking up. So I guess that'd be a question, Adam. Like, what's the purpose of, of those? You know what I'm saying? So... Um, you know, is it to make money? Like, like, what is the actual purpose of like doing the ESPN top 100 rankings? Like, I mean, look at at this day and age. I mean, Steph Curry is, is even arguably is the most skilled player on the planet. He was not the top 100. I just coached a kid, uh, Derek Parton, just got done playing at Northwestern. He was nowhere near the top 100. 
It's just and that's a great question. What is the purpose of that? What's the purpose? Like, like do the the scouts that are actually traveling, they don't necessarily need those rankings, okay? Because they've got their own rankings. Correct. Right? You know, they've already compiled their own data. Internalized them. Internalized and stuff like that, okay? And most of the time, they don't even agree with those public rankings, right? Yes. They're like, no, that's not my style player anyway, so I don't want him. What is the purpose of that? Right? I mean, how much is that? I mean, because this is a big topic that you just threw out there, mm-hmm. right? Like changing societal uh, tendencies and habits and mindsets and the culture of society, Um you know, how much of a negative influence does that have? I, I just worked this past winter with the number one recruit in football, right? In the 2020 class, he just signed on with Clemson. He's a defensive lineman, Brian Breezy. Great kid, right? But that ranking, everybody in the world knows it. Like, there's no way he can't not have an inflated ego, right? Mm. There's no way he can't think that the world revolves around him where everywhere he goes, everything revolves around him, mm-hmm. right? And it's built on this number one ranking that some platforms have given him. Mm-hmm. And, and is that a healthy thing compared to just being like, hey, you're a great player. You keep working hard, you know, and just letting him go through that process. It's almost like they crowned him and gave him an ego, even though he's done a great job with it. He's 17 being paraded around. And look at, look at the NBA. Look at the NBA. Look who's left, right? Look at Lillard, Steph, yeah. Kawhi, Clay. I mean, I mean, Washington State, but like you're talking about guys that, I mean, Steph says all the time that I wasn't a top 100 kid. I, 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 I mean, doesn't he have his camp that's actually, he calls them like the overlook, not the overlook, but he just started that. Yeah. yeah, it's like 200 players that aren't ranked or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, which I think was a fascinating idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, you know, alluding to the, not only the players that are left, but even a team like the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, they're a team, you know, they kind of yeah. come out of, you know, Coach Bud was in Atlanta for a long time. Popovich guy, you know, they're just a good team, you know, and I think Nick Nurse is doing a great job in Toronto as well. Like, there's good teams that are still winning, and it's one of the things that, you know, selfishly doesn't completely bother me because I, I, I think I'm probably looking for the same kids Babe is coaching. You know what I mean? I, sure. I think that's our edge. Whereas I think people are getting enamored by the ranking and the number, and they're not looking, you know, at all that other stuff. My biggest concern is that as a society, we are in charge of the game of basketball. You know, the adults are in charge. When we talk about the athletes going after um, a, a selfish accomplishment, you know, I have a hard time blaming them because we've set up a system that that's what they're looking for in a lot of ways. We've set up a system where it's like, well, that's what gets praised on social media. That's what gets praised. That's what, you know, I'm, here's the schools that I'm considering. You know, people are that. We've created a, a, an environment where I think they're just going after what they think people want. That's why it's so important to me, coaches like yourself and coaches all over the country, step in. And all of our coaches that are listening here is like, you're going to be the only voice of reason, the voice that's going to be able to make an impact on that on those young kids. And that's why it's so important that we, we answer the call here and we, we fight to teach them that lesson because we're fighting against a society that's telling or selling them something else. So I think the role of the coach is more important than it's ever been. And those guys are leaving too, TJ. Those guys are getting out of the business. That That's the meeting coaches. Yeah. So a lot of guys who – do do it right are getting run are getting run out. A, a couple years ago, uh, Tate's Lock was speaking at a clinic that I was speaking at, and, and um, it was it was right before I was like it was like Allen Stein and, and Thad Mata and, and Coach Coach Lock went, and it was all high school coaches in Ohio, and he made everybody. Coach Locke coached with Bobby Knight at West Point, so he watched me speak, and he asked he asked all the um, coaches, he said, raise your hand if you want to coach in college. Nobody, like, there was like two or three guys rose their hand, and he's like, you guys are full of it. And afterwards, I was talking to him. I said, Coach, 
I, I, no, I don't think they're th- those guys. It, it, there's been a paradigm shift. Now, if you ask the same group of AAU coaches, a lot of them would, would raise their hands. They, they would, you know, they would raise their hand and they would say, "Okay, you know, I want to, um, I want to go do this." Mm-hmm. And and here's and here's where it's changes a lot. I think those a lot of those AAU guys are attached with, you know, are attached with players. And yeah. so they, the college coaches, they don't care if I can coach or not. They want to know, can I get you players? Mm-hmm. So now, if that's what they like to do, TJ, if they like to say, "Okay, a kid's going to say, hey, come here, you can get yours, and I'll get you these looks." I mean, they'll actually do it. There have been other high school coaches that have really told kids that all we do in our program is win. We don't develop kids. That's why you should come play for me and lead Coach Quaz's program. You know, and, and, and I've gotten a reputation of being an AU hater. Listen, I, one of my very best friends runs the MoCan program out of Kansas, out of, uh, Kansas City, which produced Trey Young and Michael Porter. Uh, I'm his kid's godfather. Like, I am... There are good and a good and bad yeah. AU coaches. There are good and bad high school coaches. Here's my problem with the system. What is the percentage of kids that go from high school to the NBA? Right now it's zero. You have to go to college, right? So then which which percentage of those kids have to get a degree? So the focus should be on getting the degree. I had a McDonald's All-American who, when he played for me, in four years he missed one day of school. The the year before his going into his junior season, right? He was being recruited. He's a McDonald's All-American, so he did not need the quote-unquote exposure. Mm-hmm. What he needed to do was get his score up to make this to get to get the score to go. So during AAU season, during the spring, he would miss Thursday and Friday of every single week. That is wrong. That's mm-hmm. not like what are we doing for that kid? Yeah. The kid's gonna get looks. He's gonna have. He's a McDonald's All-American. He's gonna have no problem getting looks for college. Yeah. Where's our priorities? Yeah. And who's gonna step up and say this is not right? And I think when you ask the question, TJ, what are we going to do? We're going to have more people step up and say, this is not right. Yeah, yeah. If this is what we're looking for, or we complain all the time about LeVar Ball. They're out there more than you think. I mean, not only LeVar Ball parents out there, but those guys are getting jobs. They're getting high school jobs. And if you think you're not, you're like, we're, we're kidding ourselves. Let's take a quick halftime break with our friends over at Team Snap. We'll jump into it here in the second half. Coaches, we all want our players communicating better on the floor. Night communication, N-I-T-E, names. First of all, we want to make sure they're communicating with names. If I wanted Adam to do something and I wanted to make sure that he heard the command, I would say, Adam, turn up the volume. I would use his name first. It's the sweetest sound of the English language. People love hearing their name. Teach your players to make sure that they are using names every single day when they're communicating in practice. And coaches, I know you want to communicate with your team better. You need to go check out teamsnap.com forward slash PGC. Teamsnap.com forward slash PGC. You're going to get a four-month free trial. And if you want your practices, your games, and your meetings to run more smoothly, you need to check out Team Snap. And I promise your team's program will run smoother. I think I think it's we're in a battle, right? And you, you know battle better than anyone. And just like any battle, if we're outnumbered, the chances of us being successful is going to be really difficult. And I think this is a battle that we have to just be fighting and, and building up our army to, to really just attack and say, this isn't right. This, is, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I'd love to see, going back to those rankings, I'd love to see additional classification rankings on there. If you're going to have rankings on there, right, and you're going to put some measurables and some skill sets and, and rank it on that, how about, how about rank it on their selflessness, right? Mm. How, about, how about how well do they play w- with others, 
right? Are they a great complement to their teammates around them? All of a sudden, let's do a weighted, right? Everyone wants to do data and analytics, right? How about we do a, a weighted ranking, okay, where there's other aspects that we're grading that it's not just about well, individual Well, let's performances. be honest. You couldn't do it because you can't talk negative about kids. You know what I mean? I mean, just being honest, you're not allowed to say anything negative. But that's where the coach steps in and should make them aware of that. But I think one of the things that bothers me, too, is you alluded to it. It's like there's too many – you know, you're a son of a coach. I'm a son of a coach. Our dads didn't get into coaching for the money. Correct. They got into yeah. making an impact. They got in. In fact, if there was any reason not to coach, it was there was no money. You know, in, in in coaching. So it was a completely opposite reason where that is that has shifted. We see Calipari making five million a year, and you know, so and so thinks they're going to step in and they're going to take this route or they're going to land this player and they're going to go to this college because they've got this player. Coaches are getting in it for way different reasons. But one of the things that really bothers me is that good coaches are leaving the game, and I don't feel like they have any support in that. You know what I mean? Mm. The parents don't like this, and and I do I do agree with you that I do think coaches have to we have to find a way to support each other better because there's too many good people getting out of the game and they're solo, they're alone. They're and but and we know in the big scheme of things they're not alone because we're around coaches all the time. They're all dealing with the same administrative problems. They're all dealing with the same parent problems. They're all dealing – and some of them are dealing with their own coaches' issues. They've got to grow better. They've got to grow leaders better. They've got to learn more. But uh, I don't think the support system uh, for coaches – one of the things that we want to do on the Hardwood Hustle is support coaches. And we know you know, we got a coach like you. You get it. You know what I mean? You're changing lives. You. You're making a really big impact. And um, you're developing. You're planting seeds uh, for years and years to come. Uh, but I, I, there's a lot of them out there that, that don't have support. But to hear guys like you to know that there's more out there that are doing it the right way. Well, and, really you, and you just hit it, Coach, is you have to hold yourself to a high – in order to fix this, you're going to have to hold yourself to a higher standard than just winning. And what happens is, listen, guys get into these positions and they say, okay – in order to do this, I got to get players, and I got and I got to cheat, and yeah. I got to do whatever, and that in turn uh, just makes it tough. I mean, you guys know you see it on, on the youth level. I mean, we're talking about these rankings like there's youth rankings in Cleveland down to like the fourth grade level. Yeah. Like we're really ranking a fourth grade kid, and you have to be really intentional to remind yourself that it's not all about winning, right? Because you can get caught up in the trap. And you said something in there that caught my attention. You were asked about your greatest accomplishment at some point during uh, uh, some event you were attending, and you went to the five straight state championships, mm-hmm. and you later looked back and actually regretted how you answered that. Sure. Right? Because, like, my greatest accomplishment? Winning? Yeah. You know? Like, it's, it's more than that. But, but I think that was a real authentic moment, you know, mm-hmm. where you shared because – the reality is we can get caught up in the wrong things, mm-hmm. right? We can get caught up in the rankings and the ego and comparing ourselves to the next person. Mm-hmm. You know, how many wins do you have, man? I don't have that many wins. Wow, mm-hmm. five straight. Wow, man, you must be so much. You know, all that stuff where I think it's important for us to be reminded that perspective we talked about earlier. What is this all about? You know, we, we had uh, the grandson of James Naismith on the show a few months ago, right? He's probably rolling over in his grave right now, <laughs> right? Because you think about he started basketball. He started with the YMCA, Young Men of Christian uh, Athletes, right? Like, it, it was about sharing the, world, the, the word of God at that time, right? But let's be, say it like it is. He wanted to develop young men into better human beings, and he used basketball as the tool. He created yeah. the game 
because it was how he was going to influence young men to be better. Like that's what the game was created. Mm -hmm. And I bet right now he looks at it as like it wasn't created to figure out what's the quickest way to get rich, right? Or what's the quickest way to inflate your ego, Mm -hmm. okay? And and, and that's where we've gone. But it's going to require us to fight against those temptations and those urges that are pulling us to to maybe be a little bit more selfish, Mm -hmm. to maybe be a little bit more greedy and be reminded that's not what this is about. Yeah, listen, guys, I've never met anybody that can't stand losing. I mean, I in my sales interview, I said, I, I don't like winning. I just cannot stand it losing, like, like most of us, right? Yeah. And somewhere along, and I think maybe it comes with age, it becomes with having great mentors. I know I've had people in my life. Uh, Coach Collins would always yell at me and say, you, you're really going to judge your, your happiness on uh, you know a 17, what a 17-year-old does? I mean, that, that's crazy. And I think along the lines, you got to come down to, like, what do I, what do I want to be? And I know now I have three sons of my own. There are 15, 12, and 7. And I just say, hey, um, can I be the, the, the coach that I would want my son to play for? And I'll give you a great example. Probably, probably one of the best players, or probably the best player that played for me in high school. And I want to give names. I don't want to give names because I don't want to incriminate him. But he went to college, and he was a senior year in college. And uh, he got in some trouble. And it was about 3 in the morning. And, and he, my phone rings, and I, my, my, my phone just happened to be next to my next to my bed, which drives my wife crazy. But I answer the phone, and uh, again, I don't want to give his name, but I start to say, hey, what's going on? Hey, coach, I'm, I'm in jail. Okay, are you okay? Yeah, coach, I, I, I got a DUI, barely, you know, barely blew up. Was your girlfriend with you? Yes, she's okay. Everyone's okay. So at that point, I said, okay, uh, you're eight hours away, and I'm here in my bed in Cleveland at 3 o'clock in the morning. What do you want me to do? And he said, uh, I don't know, coach. I just got one phone call, so I called you. Mm-hmm. And there's a powerful message there, right? Like, so what I want to be is I want to be that type of father figure that when something goes wrong in their life, uh, they're going to call me. I want to be that type of figure when, when the best thing that happens in their life, they call me yeah. and say, "Hey, coach," and not not to give me credit, but to say we made it. You know, we we, we got here. And like after that, like phone call, I kind of like. And people would say, man, that was a real negative thing. I took it as the biggest compliment uh, ever, ever in my coaching I think group. there's a teaching metaphor in there, just be that one phone call. Absolutely. Right? Like, yeah. like teaching and coaching with a mindset that if my guys had trouble and they had one phone call, would you be on the list? Amen. Right? And, I, and I think you've got to be honest with yourself too, Adam, because a lot, I think a lot of people automatically answer yes. You know, would you? Yeah, would you? And, yeah. and you know, and if you're not, you know, I mean, how much we talk about communication all the time, right? We talk about um, there's never going to be an app for that. There's never going to be an app for building the relationships. That's something that there, there's you know, no Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, nothing can develop that but you. And that takes and that takes time and pressure. And that takes good times, and unfortunately, it takes mm-hmm. bad times too. And what our young people do not understand is you're going to get molded during those during those tough times. I've seen the Harvard Hustle with the Iron Chauvin's Iron T-shirts, and it's just very true. That's the only way to become better. TJ, you mentioned West Point. Uh, the number one thing about West Point is, is it sucks. And when you go through something that sucks with people who go through something that sucks, the relationships and the bonds you build are forever, hmm. and they're darn near unbreakable. Hmm. And it's something you value more than any dollar, more than any material thing you can ever have in your life, more than any state championship. Yeah. I, I, one quick point to add to that is impressive. I think one thing we get lost in is it's really impressive that that young man chose to call you because a lot of times um in a, a, a testament to him because a lot of times i think there are some coaches that would say yes i would be that phone call but they would be that phone call because maybe they've been an enabler to that young person mm. their entire life mm. but 
just don't, nobody needs to spend two minutes with you to know that you're not an enabler. You're a more of a, you're a challenger. You're a guy that's going to. And so when that kid got in trouble, you had challenged him enough in his life, but loved him enough in his life for him to make that phone call. And I think that's why you want to be the phone call, not because you've enabled somebody, not because they're like, oh, this guy will bail me out. This other trouble. He knew, hey, this is the guy that's told me my, the truth of my life, and he's, he's challenged me, that's but he's point. also loved me. And so he's calling that. And so I, I think, I mean, kudos to that young man because he could have called somebody that uh, he said, well, I could hide this or I can't. But he picked up the phone, and he learned lessons to be able to pick up that phone and say, this is not the easiest phone call because I know you're not going to be proud of me, but mm-hmm. you also laid the groundwork that he's going to tr- tell me the truth, but he's going to love me as well. And, you know, I think that's a real testament to, you, to your leadership and the, ki- and the leadership that you want. Like I think when we try and help coaches to understand what kind of leadership do you want, you absolutely want to be demanding. We're not promoting being demeaning, but we want to be demanding uh, of players. We're not just going to love on them and put our arms around because there's a lot of hard lessons you've got to learn in life. And I think that phone call speaks volumes of, of uh, you and the lessons that he was able to learn over time to be able to pick up the phone and make that call and everybody says that tj everybody says they want you know be hard on my kid and then parents parents are the issue because then they step in when you are and i'd be lying to you if i told you i haven't crossed a line before when you when you're as passionate as energetic as i am uh, i go back to coach k telling me man a fire can heat your house and it can cook your food but it can also burn it down the, the fire has burned my house down before and mm-hmm. now now at that point it's having the self-awareness to say hey i was wrong and, and i've gone to players and listen listen i was wrong what yeah. i did was wrong and do you accept my apology and um it's just having equity enough to know that uh, it would never be with a kid that I don't have that relationship with. And, and you know, I'm sure you guys have talked about the Izzo thing, you know, times yeah, a thousand. We, we did a whole episode. I, and one of the things I think I, I really enjoy hearing you say in there, because my progression has been almost the same. We're near the same age. But, you know, I became a head college coach at the age of 23. And I look back on some of the things I said, did, and the way I acted at 23, 25, 26, 27. But as we get older and we learn more, we do better. Sure. You know, and I think you alluded to that. You know, my players say the same exact thing to me, like, "Coach, you've gotten soft," and and I haven't gotten <laughs> soft. Like, I'm still hard on these guys. But I think when you learn a better way to do it, you can still be highly demanding without having to burn the house down. Yeah. I mean, Coach Coach Gaudi would go to jail for some of the things he said to me. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, and I even joke there was one year where. Um, I mean, you know, you were just in Chicago. I know Coach Vershilla was doing the yeah. MC and right, yeah. TJ. And there was a story. I mean, this is this is pretty recent. There was a year at Steph Camp where um, it was a uh, it was kind of a it's kind of a neat story. So uh, it was like it was our second year. So the first year went off like awesome. So Steph's first camp was just awesome. So the second year, we you know we get we came back from from the second session, I think. And you know, Coach Coach Fran's thing with me is his, hey man, Cap, you're the you're the energy guy. Like if you if you're not fired up, then nobody's going to be. And Coach Rochelle is the the quintessential old school. I mean, he's got you know, there's there's type A personality. He is triple yeah. A, right? He's got that he's, New Yorker he's style. He's got the New York. Yeah. I want to fight. You. Like I love his line with <laughs> Coach and Ron Artest is, he's like, you can coach a crazy guy as long as you're crazier, yeah. as long as you're more nuts. Than him. <laughs> so I always put that. that so so, like so we came home or we came back to the hotel. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, Coach, that was a great day. And he looks me in the eye and he goes, you sucked today, Captain. And I'm thinking like, okay, he's pulling my leg. He's like, no, you sucked. He's like, I, I, you're, you're my one guy who you can bring it and you suck today. And I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I, even, I went back to my home I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, again, yeah, I would never yeah. quit. But I'm like, I was, I was mad. Yeah. I was upset. I'm like, man, here I am, like, pretty much almost volunteering to come to this guy. I'm giving him everything. And then it was, it was almost like, okay, you got to be what you preach. Right, Coach? Yeah. You got to be. And here's a guy 
who sees something in me that I don't see in myself. So I thought I was good, but here's a guy who knows I can be better. And even at, at, at that, and I don't know what age he was at the time, and God bless him for he's still coaching me at this point. Like, we're not here for vacation. He, he really wanted the Steph Curry camp and All-American camp to be the best. He had me here because he wanted it to be the best, and he knew I could bring the energy, and the energy wasn't what he wanted it to be. And it's just like the, we're cheating ourselves. Yeah. So not, and not only our kids, we're cheating our coaches. Coach, how hard do we coach our assistant coaches compared to how hard we were coached? There's something to be said, and there's a value in that that I think we're missing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, one last thing. I know you got to get on the road, but I just got one um, more, more thoughts. Amanda Butler at Clemson. She was down at this thing we were speaking at not too long ago. She got to let go at Florida. Took a gap year. Um, went and spent time with Van Gundy and Brad Stevens and uh, Billy Donovan out in Oklahoma City. And somebody in the, in the audience asked her the question, you know, what made all of those coaches just really good? And he said, you know, their styles were so different. And I think it's a, a testament, a compliment to you. It, you have your style. But the one thing that she said about them I think is really true of you. They were They were just really authentic. They are who they are. And you could tell that your experiences in life, you know, the son of a, the son of a coach, going to West Point, all of your experiences that you've had have, have shaped you to want to be a phenomenal leader. And you live that out in a really authentic way. And uh, for our coaches that are listening, um, you know, everybody's style is going to be slightly different. But being authentic, I think, is one key to get started uh, to being a great coach. And then you listen. That's why you listen to Hardwood Hustle and you read and you uh, do all the different things so that you can learn better so you can do better. And hopefully I know I learned a ton listening to you about leadership and a whole bunch of other things that you talked about. And I think our listeners as well can take away a lot of, a lot of nuggets from this. And, and as we wrap up here, I want you to kind of speak to this as we finish. I find it fascinating. You spoke for about 90 minutes in here. We've been recording for about 45 minutes. You've been in five straight state championships, winning three out of the five. And I don't even know an inkling of your basketball strategy. Okay, like, like not even yeah. in, not even a moment have you talked X's and O's. Yeah, or you may not have one. We don't and, know. And, may but, not that, have but that's kind of my point here. Like, yeah. this stuff is so important. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. To the point where you've had all this success, and I don't even know a, yeah. a single out of timeout <laughs> set that's, that you that's, have. That's you, cool. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. it sounds like. You recognize that this is this is what's going to take you to the, the well. Next how much? Level. I mean, coach, you know this. I mean, in recruiting and stuff with a high school coach, what's the percentage of it that's actually coaching? You know, like that. I mean, it's a very very minute percentage, and it goes both ways. There's it's reciprocity, Adam. So, and what I when I mean as I say this is it goes both ways, right? Meaning. How many of us have had a job or whatever that, you, you know, like you're like, man, this is a pretty good gig. And, and maybe it's not at the highest level. And I'll give you an example. When, and this is a great story for the hardwood hustle is, is when I was in the Army, I, I, played, I played on the all-Army team. Um, and then so I would work Duke camp every year because of the West Point Coach K connection. So uh, I'm, I'm at my, my desk one day, and uh, I'm, working, I'm working personnel assignments with with the pentagon and i'm real busy i'm working for a guy named i'm working for a guy named general brandenburg and my buddies are listening are gonna laugh at the story so they would screw with me every day my buddies would so they would call they would call me every day uh, captain kwasnick this is bobby knight captain kwasnick this is steve offer we're gonna offer you a job because they knew i wanted a coach so phone rings uh you know uh captain kwasnick speaking i'm gonna help you sir man uh babe it's coach k and i'm like Joe, I do not have time for this right now. Like, you know, General Brandenburg wants to report in for USR. Like, I'm, I'm toast. No, really, this is Coach K. 
I'm like, I, I, I'm not doing this right now. So then the third time, he said, dumb, explicit of Polak, so I knew it was him. So I was like, oh, coach, coach, coach. Uh, he's like, well, I heard you applied for the All-Army job, and you know, how would you like if I called the Department of Army you know, for, for you? And I said, coach, you calling for me would mean more than me actually getting the job. That would be the biggest honor of my life. And to make a long story short, I was the youngest guy since him to coach a team. I think I was 26 years old. And he told me at that moment, he said, this will be the best coaching job you've ever had. I was 26 years old. I was the third youngest guy on the team. I had kids that didn't work out in the NBA, so they came to the Armed Forces, played at Maryland, played at – I had a kid, Craig Marshall, got cut twice by his – by his high school basketball team, got drafted for baseball by the San Francisco Giants. Um, you're talking about guys that if they weren't playing basketball, they were getting shot at in Afghanistan or Iraq. And he told me, he said, this will be the best job you've ever had in your life. And, and I look back, guys, and we've won three state championships and nothing comes close. I mean, I was literally coaching American heroes, mm-hmm. like coaching guys that were like, I mean, just think, think about like what we would all t- do TJ did. Like, this is a coach's dream. I had 12 of them. <laughs> 12 of them. Like, I, I was coaching 12 American like, Think about that. Wow. And, again, that goes down to, I mean, obviously, it's, like, it's easy to listen to Coach K, right? But I didn't understand what he said then, yeah. and I do now. And I guess a big, a big piece of this is going, going down to, like, you know, have a mentor, right? And, I, and I'm not saying, like, you know, not name dropping Coach K, but, but have a mentor. Have someone you know that knows what's going on and listen to them because they know. Right, I mean, they know, and and um, I mean, another franchiseism is there's three types of people in this world: those who know, those who don't know, and those who don't know they don't know. And as a coach, if you're spending your time with that third category, then you're an idiot, and you're wasting your own time. <laughs> and I've just had, you know, I've had so many nuggets to go along, you know, with myself. I can't sit here and say it's important to be coachable if I'm not coachable myself. I, I talk about you have to be a leader, but in order to be a leader, you got to be a great teammate. In order to be a great teammate, you got to be coachable. So if you're not coachable, the, the, the third part that we're talking about that I think you guys are focused on this podcast on will never happen. Yeah. Coach, we appreciate it. How, how can people follow you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm, I'm real active on Twitter uh, at Babe Quaz, B-A-B-E, uh, K-W-A-S, Captain, it's, it's Captain Kwasniak. Um, Give that again one more time real slow. Get these yeah, people following you. Yeah, I know I got that fast talk, uh, but it's Babe Quaz, B-A-B-E-K-W-A-S. Um, and I just realized – you know, I don't know the the relationship or the rules with civilians like TJ and I, but has, have we failed you by not calling you captain? No, no, no. What's the relationship No, no, no. Welcome to my life of the guy that doesn't know what they don't know. The guy that doesn't know what they don't know. Now, you failed me more just by living closer to the Naval Academy than you do at West Point. But no, no, it's just my buddies call me that because I retired as a captain. Um, my, my friends call me that. I mean, I take that as the, at, at the ultimate compliment. Um, like, but heck, you know this, TJ. Being, there's nothing. Is there anything better than being called a coach? Yeah. Uh, being called a coach, uh, and to me, is synonymous with with being a father because yeah. I played for my father. And uh, but no, I, you know, I, I, I talk leadership a lot on there. I get a chance to go around. The, you know, go, I'm going out to Los Angeles on Monday to talk leadership. That's my passion. I think just coaching is just the vehicle in which I can do it. So, um, well, you, you guys, you guys are so great for our game. We talk about what can we do, what can we do. You guys are doing it by even giving me this platform to talk about it. 
Uh, I don't, if any of us had the answers, we'd have it done by now, right, Coach? Yeah, right, Adam? absolutely. Uh, but let's, let, hey, let's keep fighting the good fight. Yeah. Hey, we're, we're the last of the Cowboys. We love this game. <laughs> yeah, that's it. More that's important. it. <laughs> and there are still, there are still Get them fired games. up, baby. Get them fired up. You know, up. And, and hey, man, I, I, I'll be welcome. Anytime you guys will have me on, anytime you guys have an event that you think I, I can maybe make a difference, I'd love to come out and, and help you guys We out. appreciate you so much. Listen, special thanks to you. And um, I'm Adam. He is TJ. Together, we are the Harwood Hustle. Until next time, we're out.